0: And this was one of the best years of my life.
1: I don't know, cause it's a music podcast, so I didn't I didn't go that far.
0: Wait, 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 wait.
1: Well I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you can bend behind the nut.
1: You were just thinking of Babs bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot.
0: Club banger. Plam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life and their music. Otherwise, you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks.
1: And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom. We couldn't play Zig Zag Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. Man, we're back. Again. It's crazy. And uh, we're going to be talking about squirrels today, people. All right. That's what we do around here. All right. Well, welcome to the Basin Trouble Podcast. My name is Neil.
0: And I'm the one and only Steve.
1: You're the only one. So last week, we promised to move on from talking about the 90s bands. I mean, we made it, we made it a conscious effort this week.
0: We were stuck on that for a minute.
1: I mean, it's just a great, great decade. But, you know, this is a huge jump because this GarageBrock band was formed in 1997.
0: That's still the 90s, dude. <laughs>
1: I just, we can't get our decades right. Anyways, but... It's all got, right.
0: They didn't come famous until after that.
1: It's true. They're two they're 2000s band. Um, and they're our favorite brother-sister or husband-wife combo since Billie Eilish and her brother, which is important to note because they've been tearing it up.
0: Yeah, it's another brother-sister combo, but it turns out... They're really husband and wife, but we'll get into that. Yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, of course, we'll wrap it up with the Sucky Song of the Day, my favorite part of the podcast. Um, I think today's option is going to be a little controversial. There's a lot of people who love this song. Um, Some might even say it's one of the greatest songs of all time, but they're wrong because it sucks. Okay. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, take it one step at a time.
1: So if you haven't already subscribed... Uh, go ahead and do so i mean i'm not really sure if i owe you money or if like i've wronged you in another <laughs> life but it's bass and treble you can find us on spotify apple podcast and on facebook for more uh, occasional posts about the bands we like
0: if neil owes you money he'll pay you back threefold just just subscribe okay
1: the awesome group we picked this week steve is um and even their name is kind of a misnomer the white stripes
0: How's it a misnomer? Like, you can have, there's white stripes on our flag.
1: I just, it's so simple. <laughs> no one even and cares where the name came from, because that is how they're designed.
0: <laughs> I, I think a lot of this band is rooted in simplicity to begin with. Right. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll get into that.
1: So, wait, wait a second. Let's go through these names of the band members, because breaking news, I had no idea that that was Jack White's real last name.
0: Right, so Jack White started out as Jack Gillis. Surprise, surprise. Meg White has always been Meg White. And that's the band.
1: That is the full entire roster of the White Stripes. <laughs> yeah, their origins, they're from Detroit, Rock City. Um, I don't know how I got that name. I know that, um, what am I? Kiss. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing out of your town is Kiss. You got a lot to say. And Cars, and
0: Eminem and Kid Rock. I mean, Detroit's got some stuff going on for them.
1: No, I'm saying that is the truth, but um, the best Detroit band, (laughs) and they will never be featured on our band review list, unfortunately, is Hall & Oates. They're Detroit, too? No Uh way. You're making my dreams come true. Yeah, it's good. Why why
0: wouldn't they ever show up here? I mean, they're not like rock and roll, but they're still a pretty good... Pretty good guys.
1: You're opening the Pandora's box. And I was like, you know, Hollow Notes today, Shakira tomorrow. <laughs>
0: Anyways. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, let's stay focused on rock. We have a theme here. All right. Cool.
1: Just a reminder we're going to be posting up a playlist so you can follow along with all the favorite songs of ours for White Stripes. Um, we're definitely going to throw in some of Jack White solo stuff. But I like that. And um, whose playlist is it? Oh, it's our playlist. And it'll be in the show notes at the end.
0: All right. So let's, let's break apart this rumor because. Nobody even really knows whether or not they're husband and wife, brother and sister. Like, what are they?
1: Yeah, so um, they were married, and he took Meg's last name. They're not siblings, although they did talk about being siblings. Um, and there's a little bit of a, a interesting minimalist approach to that, right? Brother-sister, it kind of gives off this uh, cool, like, uh, you know, hokey vibe. Like, we're just brother-sister starting a band, um versus husband wife which can have all this kind of you know uh, drama behind it they even broke they even faked their relationship to make sure that it was a simplified relationship
0: (laughs) that you know it kind of worked for them like all their album covers are pretty simple like just you know their color scheme red white some black it's pretty simple
1: yeah this band is seminal for me growing up um and um yeah, honestly, if your last name was Gillis, why wouldn't you take the girl's last name if it's white? <laughs>
0: yeah, so much simpler. What do you think Jack Black has to say about that?
1: I don't know, but it is kind of weird that there's a Jack Black and a Jack White, and um, it'd be tough. Like, if there was if there was one, one bullet and it had to go into either or, it'd be a tough decision. I'd be like, can we just, can you commit suicide instead of shooting either of them? Because <laughs> they're more valuable.
0: Yeah, that's a tough call. Yeah, I mean they should get together. I mean Jack Black is a musician too. They should get together and make an album called Jack Gray.
1: Yeah, that would be it. Be you know, it'd be a good if they could get a song in a Fifty Shades of Gray movie.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, so taking it to the next level. So
1: on Bastille Day, Meg decided to learn how to play the drums. Um, they had their very first gig a month later, and um, she she's not a bad drummer. She's just not technical. So, full disclosure, in preparation for this podcast, I um, listened to uh, or watched a YouTube video, which we'll put in the link in the description, too. It's called In Defense of Meg White. It's by Polyphonic. And it talks about how, yeah, she's not technical, but even Jack White says, I couldn't do what I do if she were not so simple. And all along the way in their songs, mm. she may not be technical, but, man, she plays the hell out of drums. And what I mean by that is she plays them hard.
0: She bangs the drums.
1: And, and actually... Again, not technical, but it fits so well in this blues, punk, you know, type of style that they go for, and um, there's more creative space for me there. Um, but it is kind of interesting that they were married and not brother and sister, because a lot of people learn that later on. I, I immediately thought they were brother and sister. That's what they said. And then you kind of grow up, and you go, wait a second. As a kid, I'm being like, why would they lie about that? Like, I don't understand. And then you start, as you grow up, you go, oh, that makes sense. They we're trying to make it simple, like the rest of the band.
0: Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, Meg Meg has kind of a reputation for being kind of a terrible drummer, but it's kind of on purpose.
1: Yeah, very simple. It's a, it's simple, straightforward, just like their group. But if you're going down the road of being a
0: terrible drummer, it really makes sense that Bastille Day is in, like, July, mm-hmm. and they had their first gig in August. So could you imagine just, like, picking up a guitar and being like, I'm just going to go on stage and play in front of people a month from now? Like, it doesn't just happen like that.
1: Yeah, they're... um. The White Stripes YouTube page is putting up all these videos lately of just old video clips of them playing in bars that don't exist anymore, playing on like public access television. And you realize in these videos, man, these guys rocked. There's just two of them and they rocked these right. these these uh, th- these gigs. Um, and so there is something there. And uh, tell us a little bit about like, how they got their name, Steve.
0: Right. So it turns out that they were going to call themselves the Peppermints, which I'm glad they didn't because it's Meg's favorite candy. But they kind of give themselves a play off of the last name White, and peppermints have white stripes, so they just kind of took it in that direction.
1: That's pretty sweet. So
0: thank, thank God they're not. It's pretty minty. If you want sweets, that's a different kind of candy. The pop,
1: the peppermints is sounds like a band name from like 60s bubble bubblegum pop. I'm try. I was trying to think the name of the band that played that song. Yummy, 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 yummy. I got love in my tummy. <laughs> it, it sounds like something that peppermints would play. Not something the White Stripes would play. So yeah, um, this motif and all their albums, you mentioned it earlier, Steve, but it's pretty consistent. And what what I like about it is that, you know, as we start talking about their discography, it it like almost shows well on your mantle, their album covers. (laughs) Like, I know, Steve, you collect vinyls. Every one of their vinyl records lined up and put up on a frame would look nice. they go together.
0: There's a theme there. and, And it shows that they kind of progress over time, too. I don't know what happened with Icky Thump. That one changed up a little bit. It was uh, had a different motif to it. But for the most part, all of their albums is very red and very staged with some white color thrown in there, and even they're wearing red and white, I think on on most of them.
1: Yeah, and it's you know, it's a vibrant red, and if you think about it, those those colors run easily. I'm sure their dry cleaner was paid a hefty sum to keep <laughs> that red as bright. But you know, they never interviewed by themselves. How crazy is that? They always interview together as a band throughout their history.
0: Which kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're married and you're playing together and you're together all the time, then why would you interview separately?
1: Yeah, I guess because it's only two of them, it's pretty easy, right? I guess the Beatles have an excuse to not be all hanging out together. You know, sausage party you got to got to go home every now and then. <laughs> right but um you know they they finally dissolved in 2011 sadly 14 years later which is a great great run um as we kind of go through this stuff you'll see that some great music
0: so right so they finally broke up in 2011 and jack mentioned to rolling stone that it was due to meg's lack of enthusiasm she was always like oh big deal like no what you did what so what so you know, Jack White knows brilliance when he sees it. And there were a bunch of times they'd be working in the studio, something amazing would happen. And Jack was like, amazed. We just broke into a whole new world. And Meg is just sitting there in silence, like, almost, I don't want to say taking it for granted, but just kind of apathetic to the whole situation. So that kind of took a toll. Like, if you're in a band like this that's heavy and energetic and, you know, constantly drives to pump up their audience, it's really hard to just kind of sit there in silence and not be part of that energy, you know?
1: It's actually, I think, pretty cool, though, because it's really human to just grow disinterested with that energy that you're making. And, you know, it's 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 really kind mm. of something that happens in bands over time, and it's kind of fun that it happens in a band with two people because then it's easy to call it. It's like, okay, we'll call it. You know, what's he going to do, get a replacement drummer? What's her name going to be? Sydney <laughs> Aubrey? It's not going to be the White Stripes anymore, so...
0: Yeah, no, that was the end of The White Stripes. It, it's not The White Stripes without one of The Whites.
1: One of my favorite quotes years ago, the person who gave me my first guitar, he said that The White Stripes and The Strokes are new old bands. and I, That was back then. It's like, they're, they're these new old bands. They're coming out with this old music, but they're new.
0: I think that goes to say, uh, another word for that is like garage rock. Yeah, sure. Or, or maybe, it, maybe it's more of the lo-fi sound. Like, I think a lot of the equipment that they use to, to do this recording is old equipment. Like, Jack White has tons and tons of videos and, and, and um, documentaries about the equipment that he uses. And he goes to yard sales and he goes to vintage shops to find stuff that is old and lo-fi on purpose. That, that's kind of his sound.
1: You want to hear a hot take? The movie, It Might Get Bring Loud? It. They didn't really like it. Oh, yeah. Didn't really like it. Why not? Because the edge was in it. <laughs> I'm like, could you guys put any, uh, could you put, like John Mayer wasn't available? Like you imagine if it was John Mayer, wow. Jack White, and Jimmy Page in the room, you'd be like, oh, okay, there's three rock gods or even like Tom Morello. But it's like, no, all we can do is pick the guy who just plays a lot of different types of delays. <laughs> <Land>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, to a certain point, I kind of agree with you that if, if they were going to pick a third guitarist for that, to go along with, you know, Led Zeppelin's guitarist and the White Stripes guitarist. These guys are legendary.
1: They're also blues guitarists. So it's like, oh, Edge is like, I'm a blues guitarist too. It's like, mm. Nah. <laughs> uh, Pete Townsend could have made a better fit. But anyways, shout out to Jack White that during the documentary he looked at, at, at the Edge all the time kind of like, why are you here? You leave? Like, I want to be with him alone. <laughs> Can we just do a one-on-one?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, one of these guys is not like the others. That's right. One of these guys... Doesn't belong.
1: All right, Steve. So um, why don't you uh, start us off by just running through the work these guys put together in those, what, 14 years?
0: Um, It wasn't even that long. So if they got together around 97, their first album came out in 99. Mm. And then their last album came out in 2007. So what is that, like eight years? Yeah. Um, within those eight years, they had six studio albums, two live albums, one EP, a concert film, a tour documentary, 26 <laughs> singles, and 14 music videos, and a partridge in a pear tree.
1: And also a lot of Grammys. In fact, I just sent Steve a text today that said, These guys have so many Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so their debut, um, The White Stripes, um, has a lot of old, old blues influence to it. Um, you know, there's a few memorable songs from it that I like. Uh, if I could start off kick off the the song reviews I like but the big 3 killed my baby is just a great lyric and a great song very bluesy and it's um it's got this kind of weird uh how can I put it it's like great gatsby vibe to it I feel like this whole album first couple of albums they did it was very good like if you were going to hire a um a band that was playing music in like a 30s saloon that would be the sound that at least I, I feel like they started off with it was very open, and uh I really liked the the big three. Killed my baby. That that was a really cool song. And so so about sugar never tasted so good, which had that wood knock. It's like yeah, do 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 do. Sugar never tasted so good. What a cool song.
0: Yeah, I wish I had something nice to say about this album, but it is my least favorite of all. Like you can tell, it's it's they're underproduced, like oh, they yeah. have that lo-fi sound, right. but it, they're not hitting their full potential yet. You can tell they're a little... Raw? Freshman, yeah, a little raw at this stage. I mean, the, the songs lay the groundwork for what they're about to become. I mean, it gives their style, it gives their a signature sound, but the production value isn't there, and to be honest, a lot of the stuff that makes these guys catchy and brings me back to, their all, to all their music, I don't find on this album.
1: So what's weird is... These songs definitely were underproduced. They probably, the arrangements could have been worked on longer, but I think that rawness is what makes it kind of cool. I mean, you're right. At this point, they weren't mainstream. Nobody really knew about them until a little later on, a couple years later, but you could hear it in songs like Screwdriver and uh, I've bought Piranhas, which is a really cool song um, that they, that he had songwriting capability in them and together they made good song structures. It was just very raw. So like, uh, also the guitar sound, I don't know. I was a big, uh, this song, when I learned about this album, it kind of blew my mind at how he just has feedback all the time, which is kind of like, you know, like, <laughs> like, yep. I didn't even want to clean that up. We're just recording on tape and bouncing this and making it super lo-fi. Um, so you know what they say? A lot of people start music cause they want to be rock stars. Other people play music cause they like the way it sounds. And you could tell that this album mm-hmm. is like, yeah, we really don't give a crap what you guys think. This sounds good to us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright, when you put it that way. It, that it makes was a sense. little punk,
1: more uh, punk than their later work, just not caring.
0: Well, I think all music put a perfect label on this album. They they put it into just the right genre that fits. They called it a DIY punk country <laughs> blues metal singer songwriter duo. And they said all of them should sound this good.
1: <laughs> See what I mean?
2: So good. Never so good. Never good me.
0: But then from there, just the next year, they turned on another album called Distill.
1: Yeah, or Distigil. I have no idea how to pronounce it. And I, I, it's like Swedish. I,
0: I think it's a silent J.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not. I don't know my Swedish very well, but I just call it Distill.
1: You know, this album is still very, very unpolished. It's starting to get a little better, you can tell. And they're actually able to pick up an acoustic guitar more. I feel like the first album was so electric, and on the second one, you know, Jack really played a little bit more of an acoustic feel.
0: This is kind of where I came in as as a big fan here. There's a bunch of good songs on here. Uh, it opens up with the track, You're Pretty Good Looking for a Girl, which is a compliment that I love to give to all my dates. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty good looking for a girl. That's great. And then it's got the song Apple Blossom, which is just short and sweet and simple. And that's what I like about this. And maybe you could tell me a little bit more because you actually play guitar, but it seems like the guitar on these songs is not super complicated. Like These are simple songs with an occasional cool riff in there. They're catchy, they're riffy, but it doesn't seem very difficult to play. Yeah,
1: the first album is actually a little bit... It, all of White Stripes is pretty easy to play relatively, but the first album was so much you can tell that he was trying to pack a lot into the space. And in this album, it definitely opens up a whole lot more. I mean, Apple Blossom has that beautiful bridge part that's kind of like, you know, really, uh, you know, kind of that uh, bolero guitar. ding, 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 which is like... He didn't do that on the first album at all. So when you hear him play arpeggio, you're like, oh, that song kind of really um, opens it up. And seriously, Death Letter, it's a song by Sunhouse, which Sunhouse is um, like Hmm. pre-Robert Johnson, like just super old blues player. And it's a really, really strong um, lyric that says, you know, woke up this morning and she was on the cooling board. I mean, there's some... It's about, you know, finding your, finding some, you get a letter, somebody's dead, and then you go to, you go to f- look at the body, and they wrote that into a blues song. How about that?
0: It, it's a great story. I mean, it's, it's a little graphic, and it definitely, you know, gets you in the feels, but it's also kind of grim.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, you've got Your Southern Can Is Mine, which is still one of those songs that I'll just pull out of the bag on acoustic. Um, and I didn't know another cover. I didn't know it was a blues song. Actually, I thought they pulled that one out. But that makes sense that that exists. It's uh, but think about it, your Southern can is mine in the morning. So it's like it's such a it's such it's so kitschy. I love these guys because they really are like um, they're so sweet in their song choices like you cover songs that are really you know up they're upbeat but then the words are not upbeat, which is kind of
0: but the theme. They're also deep tracks like the kind of stuff here goes way back in time to, to, you know, almost like the dawn of recorded music. Um, You know, old, old blues players. And he pulls these out of thin air and recreates them for, you know, something that happened, what, 60, 70 years later.
1: And then we up to white blood cells and boy this is what
0: kicked the door open oof. yeah this opened up a whole new world for them
1: yeah for sure um I, I mean there's so many songs in here that are good um fell in love with a girl is probably one of the first six songs i could play all the way through um
0: wasn't that also their first video i remember is that the, the lego, lego video yeah
1: the one that builds the legos up yeah. and down um yeah isn't that cool um and no, I mean, but to start off any album with Dead Leaves and the Dirty Ground, that, that song frickin' rocks, like, track. That was...
0: Yeah, yeah, it goes beyond rocking. Yeah, like, that song is kind of, it almost defines the time. Like, it defines a generation. Like, if you were around, that was the song any to Any man with to. a
1: microphone can't tell you what he loves the most.
0: <laughs> yeah, he came through with that kind of garage rock lo-fi sound and it was like fresh it was, and it still rocked and it just kind of injected a little bit of energy into the rock scene in 2001 when, you know, rap and hip-hop was was king at that point and rock and roll was starting to die out a little bit. All of a sudden, you know, Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground and Fell in Love with a Girl comes out and it just injected some life into rock and roll again. Wait a
1: second. So you're saying that these guys are part of Saving Rock in the 2000s? That sounds like a rock yeah. fact. Anyways. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rock was on its last legs. It was about to die and go down in a great ball of flames. And all of a sudden, Jack White and Meg come along.
1: And I honestly didn't learn about this song until some of the live stuff they did later. But Hotel Yorba is a really great song.
0: Again, it's, it's, it's a very simple premise. Like, it's a very simple song, but it just has that signature sound. And yeah, it turns it into something great.
1: And then they pull out stuff like I Think a Smell a Rat, which is just a throwback. Like, it's kind of him saying, like, hey, I know that some of this stuff is softer we're playing, but we're not pussies. I think I smell a
2: rat.
1: Like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but again, Meg's drumming makes all these songs because they're so simple, and he really builds around that simple vibe. Um, and Steve and I, you know, we I can tell that we're going to be friends. Yeah, someday. What a great song.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that reminds me of, yeah, where I was in 2001 yeah, that's a good time capsule song.
1: Hell yeah.
0: So, only in the Japanese version of White Blood Cells did they include the song Jolene. Which now, is a great
1: cover, by the way. Better than the original. Uh-oh, it's going on the playlist.
0: Oh, oh, wow. For sure. Okay. I mean, there's some strong words. A lot of people have covered Jolene. I don't know why, but Dolly Parton's Jolene is just a magnet for cover artists. And... I kind of wish that it was on the original album. It only came out in the Japanese version. But yeah. I'm sure we have the internet now, so you can go out they there They were
1: and like, it. no, people in Japan are only going to like a Dolly Parton song.
2: The, what? All right.
1: Anyways, I've got to talk about the next album and introduce it, because it is start to finish magnum opus fucking album. Sorry, I had to drop one.
0: You're absolutely right. Thank God it is too because this is their kind of follow-up to their big hit. So when they came out with Seven Nation Army, you know, everybody was wondering is this going to flop? Is this album going to like cement their place in rock and roll history? And then...
1: or is it going to send Meg White a check every single month <laughs> for, the rest for a of million life.
0: dollars? And then Seven Nation <laughs> Army drops, and boom, instant banger. And uh, yeah, and they kind of cemented their place at that point in rock and roll history. They, they proved to the world that what they did last time was not a fluke, but they are solid musicians with solid music.
1: And they also won so many Grammys, and Steve... Who's on the podcast here? And I'm pointing at it like you guys can see me. Steve called me during the Grammys. He's like, "Dude, dude, do, dude, 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 the White Stripes are about to play." And I remember turning it on and seeing Beck and him being like. And at the time, I had a DVR. I remember that I had a DVR, so I was actually able to go back, like skip back a little bit, and because I turned to it like at the perfect time. Steve was it me. TiVo? And
2: the, no,
1: it was Comcast. <laughs> okay. But I go ahead and play it. And they play Seven Nation Army, followed by a cover of Death Letter. And I'm, if you look up Grammy, White Stripes performance, it is one of the best Grammy performances of all time. So I, I don't want to hear this talk anymore about like Meg White's a bad drummer, the band sucks, because she killed it in that performance. Now, is it technical? No. Does it rock? A thousand percent. Strobe lights, pants that are split in the middle, black, red. He was full on... Jack White at this point. Now,
0: when I think of Jack White, I don't see him as the Mick Jagger running up and down the stage, getting the audience pumped up. I think he's kind of humble and just sits there and plays whales on his guitar, but he doesn't seem like that big of a performer, and yet somehow he still knows how to make a performance.
1: I will humbly say that as he's gotten older, he has not kept that same kind of spirit. But 2003, Jack, he was bouncing around and jumping around stage Way more. Um, and the th- cool thing about this album is it's got songs like um, In the Cold, Cold Night, which has Meg White singing on it. The um, beautiful song. I thought it was a cover. It's not, it's an original tune. And um, I mean, all these songs, Ball and Biscuit, song rocks amazingly. I mean, but, you know, there's some hits on this album, but I can't, I have to say that Little Acorns has to be Steve's favorite song on this album. Wait,
0: please explain yourself. It talks about. I need to know more.
1: Give it a whirl, girl. Be like the squirrel. Oh. A problem found in your curls. I mean, it's really a weird ass song, right? The the intro is done by another guy, Mort Krim, who does like a a speech intro that sounds like an old radio ad for how to fix your life. (laughs) And it's about it's about she took all her problems and turned them into little acorns. And it's like, what the heck is this? Like you guys are way, way, way too... Yeah,
0: they it. did that with a lot of their tracks. Uh, sh- a lot of them are short, you know, le- uh, less than a minute, maybe a minute and a half, of almost like interludes in between the songs. Now, on Elephant, on this album, they have their longest song, "Ball and Biscuit, clocks in at over seven minutes. So they kind of uh, balanced out. For the most part, most of their songs don't even hit four minutes. They're they're short. They get to the point. We could go out. on and
1: on. <laughs> but really, this this album is the best of all their albums, and just true. Rock, really Agreed. Rock.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So after that big success, they they come out with "Get Behind Me, Satan." Boy, it's a way to win over the the Bible Belt there, Jack White. Yeah, no, <laughs> I remember
0: with every album after this, every time they release something new, I'm just praying to myself, I hope it's as cool as it used to be. I hope he doesn't like, you know, start slipping in in how much this rocks because the, he's established the sound, he's established his style, and all I want is more of it. Right. So every time a new album came out, I just remember thinking to myself like. I hope it doesn't flop. I hope it doesn't fail. And of course, this one also won the award for Grammy Best Alternative Music Album.
1: Yeah, it wasn't super hit heavy, but it was definitely kind of in the same vein as style as other songs. Like, you may not know all these songs, but definitely songs like Blue Orchid, Rock. Uh, the Doorbell. Uh, My Doorbell was another really popular one. Yeah, I'm thinking about Doorbell, when are you going to ring it? Um, but I, I didn't have a real big connection to this album. Um, I think at that point, I kind of... Um saw the writing on the wall for the band, you know after elephant that the music was gonna kind of probably be a little bit more stale um still great, but um not and you know it's really tough to follow up an album like White, you know like like elephant it's just it's mm. tough that that you know so many good songs, but blue Orchid is good you took a white orchid and turned it blue um very simple lyrics <laughs> I love them they're really really cool. what they do, you know like i think I'm thinking about the doorbell when you're gonna ring it it's like. <laughs> Ring the door, make ring the bell, and make the sound. like it's very right. simple. It's
2: me you. You you in you.
1: You in. And then their last album, which is Steve's nickname to all when he starts playing the bass. Yeah, people call me Icky Thump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what your take on this
0: might be, but I think Icky Thump might be my favorite of all of them.
1: Um. Dragon Bone is really underrated. I,
0: I think all the songs on here just kind of put a cherry on top of their entire career. Mm-hmm. At this point, they've been playing for years and years. They know what they're doing. They're experienced, and it all comes out here. I think this, in my eyes, these are the tracks that are all killer and no filler. Every single one of the ones on here, uh, they speak to me. I, I can, you know, recite them off the top of my head. They are. They're exactly what you'd expect to hear from White Stripes.
1: I just figured out what kind of music review podcast we are. We only review artists that sound good in your headphones if you're outside doing something skateboarding, <laughs> paragliding. Mm. Uh, really, really rocking stuff, but no, I think it was a good way to, uh, to end the run of the White Stripes and, and really, you know, I think Jack White and Meg White, um, put a lot of good tunes in the air. And so I'm um, really thankful that they came into my life because without them, I probably would have never had the guts to play guitar. Wow. Um, you know, Jack White made it simple for, for me. Um, very instrumental in me even being brave enough to play. Oh, I
0: see what you did there. Instrumental. Didn't even mean to. No pun intended. But yeah, they went out on a high note. Uh, All three of their last albums won the Grammy for the Best Alternative Music Album. So if we want to talk about the amount of Grammys that they've won, they have proven themselves up until the end.
1: That's nuts, man. Well, um, again, really, really awesome. And I think uh, we got a special guest actually coming on. Cool. Well... Well David thanks for joining. David is not only my nephew but probably our number 1 fan um, which for the whole podcast makes 3. Which is Just great. great. <laughs> <laughs> so David uh bringing you on um t- tell us uh tell us what you like about the White Stripes.
2: Um honestly to be completely honest with you the White Stripes is not really my preference of music. Um honestly because I don't know there's something about it that doesn't really appeal to me but they do have a lot of classics and i do think that um jack white is a very um talented person i do think that he has um several um i'm super nervous right now uh, in case you couldn't tell but
1: all right your glasses are steaming up looks like you walked into a car wash <laughs>
2: <laughs> no but no they're they're pretty good but it's just not my personal preference Hey, David, what was one of the first songs you learned how to play on guitar? One of the first songs, um, Dirty Deeds Done They're Cheap on only the E string.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Gotcha. Hey, so another thing, um, is, uh, tell us some music you like. Give, give us the name of, uh, of one band that if you had to tell somebody to go listen to, what would it be?
2: One band? Huh. Well, that's a really tough one. Uh... I had to choose one band. It it would either be Tame Impala or Vacations. Good call.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, uh, well, yeah, wanted to bring you on. Um, tell us something that uh, you want the world to know, David.
2: Uh, well, today is Ringo Starr's birthday, and he said that um on his birthday he wanted everyone to say peace and love. So peace and love.
1: Well, that. That sounds like a rock back. Good right?
2: call. Good call. All
1: right. Well, thanks for coming on, David. Appreciate you, bud.
2: All right. All right no thanks, problem. man.
1: Awesome. Well, it was nice having David on. Oh, that was good. Um Steve, what are some what are some what are some artists that came out of uh came out of uh the White Stripes? I mean, really Jack White had a solo career, but uh didn't he have some bands too?
0: So I mean, the White Stripes was really just the beginning of his music career. He ended up, I think Rack and Tours came next. And ended up playing with the Dead Weather for a little while and came out with his own album, Lazaretto, is a, a banger.
1: Yeah, we covered that our very first podcast, we did Lazaretto. Um, That's right. So yeah, we're all about it, but it's kind of cool. You know, his uh, little space there in Nashville is really popular. A lot of artists, um, you know, are there. He has his instant studio where you can go in and record yourself on vinyl, one of these old boxes that, that he maintains that, that that was invented for that. You'd go in and press a single into a little mic and just play and sing whatever you want. It would print you a little record at the end. Um, how about that for some cool stuff? Bet you they can't, they can't fix the COVID problem with that one. <laughs> Anyways, so Steve, well, I think this is great. I really have enjoyed talking about uh, The White Stripes, but we wouldn't be a podcast if you didn't tip us off on what this sucky song of the day that's so popular yeah, is. Yeah, I
0: know I'm going to get some... Some backlash on this, but have you ever heard a little song called "Don't Stop Believing"?
1: No lie, guys, this is not pre-rehearsed. I also despise this song. There's no controversy for me. I have heard that song, and it always gets over loud sang at bars, and people that are just annoying to me, and just think it's hilarious. And I'm like, why do you like this song? It's so basic and lame. So,
0: so I mean, you've gone down the pretty much the entire run through of, of reasons why I think it sucks. But what you didn't touch on is that in the title itself, it's not "Don't Stop Believing." <laughs> Journey was so cool that I didn't even have to use the last "g" at the end. So the title of the song is <laughs> "Don't Stop Believing." Apostrophe.
1: You know, you gotta give him a you gotta give him a break. This is the you '80s. Think, you they think, had to think f- you're give so cool? A to buy their shitty record,
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It is like a karaoke favorite, but it's always at the end of the night when everybody's wasted drunk and like it's it's overplayed and anyone who ever sings along is too drunk for their own good.
1: Yeah, I like songs at the end of the, at the, end of the you know, when the bar is closing down, like semi-sonic closing time. That, that appropriate. song might be cliche, but it's very appropriate and it gets people to leave. I've seen it work <laughs> effectively at bars. It's like as soon as you play, people are like, I need love, but this song just made me get me more tequila. So don't stop believing. So
0: here's what I'm proposing. Uh, I'd like to start a movement when it comes to "Don't Stop Believing." I'm not asking to erase this song from the earth entirely, like like okay. "Wicked Game" by Chris Isaac, but instead, what if we just took a year and we just took a break? What if we just banned Journey f- for a year? No more bars, no more karaoke, no more, you know, blasting it out your radio as you're driving down the street. We just put it on hold for a year. And then in a year, we, we kind of phase it back in slowly. We decide whether or not we want to bring this back into our culture, but it just needs to stop. It is possibly the most overplayed song that has ever existed.
1: There's two things that will always persist. This song and low-rise jeans. They will always be around, no matter how hard we try. And someone will buy them. <laughs> the funny thing is that, you know, this band, Journey, went on tour with a foreigner and what I call the obnoxious tour. <laughs> Who the hell wants to see those two bands Although, in the same night?
0: Their names are kind of complimentary, like foreigners, Journeys, True. I get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, Africa Joins. <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole, all, all country and travel-based bands work together. Wasn't
0: Europe a band about the same time as Journey?
1: Yeah, but Europe was more like a technical type of flair band. They were probably also equally sucky. Anything that Steve Carell in the 40-year-old version had on his wall <laughs>
0: was bad music. Yeah, that's a good give a, a good takeaway right there.
1: I don't know if you know how much I hated that song, but I get crap for it to you all the time, Steve. you are like, what are you talking about? It's a classic. And I'm like, no, just stop. Just give it
0: a break. You know, it doesn't have to be gone forever. It's fine. I get it. But just... Just lay off, just lay low for a little
1: while. I think a year without that song would do the world a lot of good. Maybe then they would, but then they may stop believing <laughs> all right, and that's our show. Any last words, Steve?
0: No, nah, I think we we covered everything we needed to
1: all right well this this is another successful podcast. Remember to uh look us up on the internet and uh thanks for thanks for jumping on david and that
0: you but that's
2: what i'm gonna do and the feeling coming from now.